You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York. A community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him, from him and struck the water, saying, Where is the Lord, the God, the God of Elijah? And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. And now that my daughter has left the room, why don't we all stand to our feet for today's gospel reading. One day Jesus got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated this morning. In a moment, I have two stories for you. One is just a story of an epic failure that I, I guess, accomplished this week. And one is an absolutely hilarious story of Anthony and Madeline and just one of those embarrassing, crazy, silly things that happens to husbands and wives. You're in for two, one very disappointing story in your pastor, I promise you. I assure you, you'll be disappointed in me. If this is your first time here, just always remember the baby dedication and how cute it was for the rest of this message. First thing I want to say is this. We're talking about the idea of rest. We're talking about, and we're going to get very deep into the idea of rest all summer long. We're going to be talking about what it means to be an overworked culture, which uh, moves in the direction of overwork or toxic rest. And it's always one or the other. Like, the best we can do is rest from work, but it doesn't always feel like the kind of rest that is rejuvenating to our soul. 
And so one, and we're going we're gonna to talk about it all summer because I don't want to pack a lot in to each message. I want to kind of let the idea of Sabbath rest drip out all summer so we can understand it and kind of get our head around it because it's different than just relaxing. There's something supernatural, a healing that's supposed to take place. I want to talk about, before I tell these two stories, I want to just talk about what toxic rest is versus Sabbath rest in a very simplistic way. Toxic rest is any rest that leaves us adrift and vulnerable to be driven. Any rest that leaves us vulnerable to be driven. So let's just take the example of a one-hour period of time at night where you spend the whole time in the phone zone. You're on your phone the entire time. It's Instagram, it's Bleacher Report, it's checking out the New York Giants and all the wonderful things that are happening there. I love response, and it's so sad that I have to pull sports analogies to get you all to talk back to me because the Bible's not enough, but we'll get there. Listen, I had a really bad week. I'm going to tell you all about it in a minute. Had a really bad week. It was a long week. It was like one of those, I woke up today, and I'm like, Lord, you really got me here today. Like, I'm happy to walk into the house of God and not be in prison this week. Um, it's not that serious. I don't know if you know, I embellish a little bit. Is everybody... Anytime you go to relax, in, in both cases, you could be on your phone. This is just one small example. And you could be on your phone in a way where it really is the culmination of a long day, where you really are too tired to engage in some kind of restful activity, but you ever get to that kind of tired where you don't want to just go right to bed? Like, you need to be up for a little bit. You don't want that chaotic day to go and then instantly go to sleep. You need to have some space, some me time. And in some ways, the phone or the screen or TV or Netflix or Hulu or anything like that, sporting event, whatever it is, there's spaces where that is actually very healthy, where you can, you can enjoy and you can relax. I'm not knocking these activities. What we have to do is rise to a level of maturity where we don't judge the activity, we judge the intent behind it. Because in most Christian maturity, it is never the thing that is wrong. It's our association with it. Alcohol being one such thing. Oh, God. We need Bianca to come back up here and make everybody laugh again. Anytime an, an activity becomes toxic, when you're no longer being intentional and present with it, it can take you wherever it wants to go. When your brain, like, like being on a raft in the ocean, when, when your brain is going to move to the ebbs and flows of the next thing that crosses the screen, when the time that you're taking to relax is really just an inner monologue of toxic venting about all kinds of stuff, when you're moved about during the restful activity, it's no longer Sabbath rest, it's getting very toxic. That same activity can be Sabbath rest, which is any rest that is receptive to the Spirit. When we cool down the jets, we have to be the kind of people that are intentional about what we're doing. Because here's the reality. In the culminating moment of the gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, stop sleeping. Wake up and pray or you will fall into temptation. Do we remember this? So there's a kind of rest that can lead directly to temptation. 
There's a kind of rest where you're not in control now. The object of your rest is what's controlling you, and it's taking you where it wants you to go. It can happen by being, there's a time to rest with friends, and there's a time where your soul is so thin, you need to get alone with God and not be around the friends because the state of your friends could turn into them pulling you where you don't want to go. So we have to be aware of ourselves. Does this make sense? It's not the activity. Zoning out on your phone could be really good. It could just be that healthy way to create some space before you go to sleep. But zoning out on your phone could take you places. Binge-watching TV can take you places. A simple example would be you sit down to watch a game. I'm not talking from my life at all, I promise. You might sit down to watch a game, and you end up controlling the whole house to make sure that you get your time, and it turns into everyone else feeling enslaved to your Sabbath time. Because if they creak one floorboard the wrong way, you're going to be upset. Like, we can't let these things happen. We have to be attentive to the Spirit. Any rest is only Sabbath rest when you're open to the moving of the spirit beyond the moving of the thing that you're using to rest. Amen. Hallelujah. So here are two stories. I decided Thursday morning, this Thursday morning, I decided, Ian was like, hey, we are going to, we got some memberships. Uh, Beekman Golf Course had like these crazy memberships, this really good deal. And so we got some golf memberships and they were really cheap, like 200 bucks. But now we feel like we go to a club, like we have a club. So it was like, I'm going to the club. Like, it was really cheap. And there's 10,000 people, and it's very dangerous because everybody's hitting golf balls all over the place. But we feel prestigious. And so Ian's like, why don't we get a little uh, round of golf in nine holes before we go to work? And I'm like, I love my job. And this is fantastic. So we're going to do that. So I'm thinking, I am preaching this sermon on rest. And I'm going to go, and I am going to just take a little bit of delight. And here's what I'm kidding myself. I'm going to be in creation. I'm going to be with my friends. I'm going to get a little exercise in because we're walking. I turned that little heart pedometer thing on on my phone so I could see how many steps I took and hope that it was more than yesterday, which wouldn't be hard because yesterday was eight steps total for the whole entire day. And we get out there. And they're like, you're going to play on a course called Taconic. And I'm telling you, the course sounds like the name of it. It is a rigorous hill that one has to climb. And so we climb all the way up it to start playing. And now I'm hot. I don't know if you know, but I sweat. Can't hide it. It's, I sweat all the time. Sitting down, I sweat. And I'm now sweating, and I'm kind of getting into a bad mood. And it's 7.25 a.m. But I'm not going to let Aldo and Ian know that I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to play golf. I'm going to work on my short game today. That's what I'm going to do. So I get up to the tee box. Thank you, Jesus, for letting me do this. This is amazing. I take my first swing and hit it like four feet on the ground in front of me. And the grass is wet, so it doesn't even roll. It's embarrassing. It doesn't make it to the next tee box. I hit it shorter than the ladies' tee box, which is in front of us. They all hit theirs like halfway to the moon. It's fine. Now everyone has to walk with me four steps to my ball. And I'm like, I found it. Take my next shot. Whap! Eight feet. So we're getting better. Ian's making the jokes. Let me see if I can find it. I'm like, Ian, we know where it is. You can see the line of where it rolled in the wet grass. Next shot. High, dead straight, into the woods behind the green. Take it out of the woods grab another ball. I used neon uh, golf balls so that I could find them in the woods. Put it there. Next shot, hit it over the green. 
Next shot on the green, put it in, couple putts, couple three or four putts. Finally goes in, I get an eight or a nine on a par three. If you know about golf, that's terrible. If you don't know about golf, it's amazing. I did a really good. <laughs> Next hole, par five. Par five is every terrible golfer's best friend. First shot, eight feet. Second shot, uh, that one was bad too. Third shot, slice it into the woods. Here's what happens. I actually get mad now. This is my time. I'm trying to enjoy myself. I'm trying to create some space. Still have a sermon to write. Little did I know it was being written in the moment. And now I'm getting all mad. I'm angry. And I'm not going to go to work and write a sermon for all of you because I got mad at a golf game. So I'm going to do the mature thing, and I'm going to leave. I'm going to quit, because I think quitting might bring me more rest right now than actually playing. And so I take my club, and I hit my bag as hard as I possibly can, take the club, throw the club in the bag. I tell Ian, and I'm leaving, guys. They try to be all encouraging, which honestly, let's, can I get a witness here? When you're in a bad mood, encouraging people are annoying as heck. <laughs> the absolute worst. No, 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 we can still have fun. Shut up. Shut it right now. I don't want to hear it. I'm leaving. No, you can play your way through. No, you can play your way through. No, I'm leaving. I walk all the way down Mount Ararat. I get to my car. I take my bag and put it in the car. And I'm like, where's my phone? I know where my phone is. It's in my bag. reach into my bag and cut myself on the screen that is now shattered because the one thing my golf club hit all day was not a golf ball. Twas my phone. Shattered. Ian says, maybe you can get it fixed. He's a tech dork. I show him the phone. Oh, God, he says. <laughs> they can't fix that. So I have to drive all the way home with no phone. And I'm like, God, this, it's 7.45. This whole day is ruined. And it was supposed to be a day of rest. I get home. Jacqueline, why are you home so early? She's getting Sophia ready. She's making everybody lunch. I mean, she's, I, I'm like, what am I going to say? I had a bad day playing golf for 10 minutes. Said, so Jacqueline, before I go to work, is there anything that you need me to do before I leave? She says, well, we have that display out in the foyer. Can you get our deck lights down so we can put it on the display? Okay, I'll get the deck lights down. Drop them and break every single one of them. Not lying. You ever broke a deck light? Now there's glass all over the floor. Who comes running down barefoot? Sophia, don't come running down barefoot, please. There's glass everywhere. Go sit in the chair. But we just instituted timeout, which is also sitting in the chair. So now she thinks she just got in trouble and doesn't realize I'm trying to save her feet. So now she starts screaming at me. Sophia, I'm not in timeout. I'm not in timeout. I'm like, shut up. You are in timeout now. I'm sweeping deck. Like we finally, I get into my car now. I have my, my I luckily kept my old phone, so I have that. I'm going to bring it to work. I'm going to call Verizon. I'm going to tell them what happened. I don't have the insurance on it because whoever gets the insurance on it, don't raise your hands. <laughs> so unfortunate that the story is not over. So 
I get in the car. It's 9.01. And we got broken deck lights. My phone is smashed. My friends are playing golf. I embarrassed myself. I lost my temper. And here I am about, I'm preaching on rest. This is, this is so many things. So I don't have a phone. So my conversation with the Lord is this. I guess I'll try to rest better tomorrow. And I'm going to pause, and I'll tell you what God said in a minute. Now let me tell you Madeline and Anthony's story. I'm probably going to embellish this story. They're in Beacon. Madeline goes to leave for work. Around 7-ish, call it. She goes to leave, and you ever have the dad who, like, closes the soda so tight, no, like, Samson couldn't open it anymore? And then he is happy about it because he shows that he's strong now, and then he can't open it. Anthony put his e-brake on in the car, but he pulled it all the way up so that you can't pull it up anymore to release it because he's Hercules. And he wanted, so Madeline texts Anthony from outside and says, honey, I can't leave because the e-brake is on. Can you please come out? And Anthony's like, I'm not even dressed. She's like, well, I need you to come out because I have to go to work. Like, I don't care about your dress situation. I need to go to work, which is more important. So Anthony comes out in, I guess, just his basketball shorts because he's a real man, and he is going to fix the car for his wife and send her off, flex real fast for the neighbors, and then go back inside. <laughs> he can't get the e-brake undone. So being the smart insurance person that he is, he puts himself halfway in the car, but his feet are still outside, and he's leaning over the, the driver's seat, and he pops the e-brake, but the car's in neutral. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. The car starts rolling backwards, and they're on a steep driveway. This is not like a little roll. It's not like the beginning of Titanic where you realize it was just starting. Like, this is an actual, this is the other part of a roller coaster. And so it starts to go, and the doors open. So the door takes Madeline and Anthony together, and now they're running down the driveway like a romantic couple running in the rain. Can you show me how you were running, please? How are you guys running? So the... The car is careening down the driveway. Anthony finally pushes Madeline out of the way, dives in the car as it's getting to the road, switches around and hits the brake and stops it before it goes into the neighbor's house across the street. Two stories of days that prior to 8.30 in the morning... So then Anthony had to, oh, so the car door hit Anthony's sister's car and opened all the way the other way. So he had to drive to the mechanic holding the door closed. I loved getting those claims, Stuart, when, and then the person was like, it wasn't my fault, it was the e-brake's fault. Okay. It was the manufacturer's e-brake's fault, right? These two stories. Now, they're funny ones. I know a lot of times our days go south for things a little less humorous. Where toxic rest comes in, I have found that there are two places where toxic rest happens, where we sort of give up and start to go with the current of the day. And that is when we're either in a state of indecision, even if it's something small, like, have you ever left here really hungry and you know you want to go get something to eat? I'm mostly talking to the men who are in the car with a woman 
when this happens. And she says, I don't care where we go, which I think is like one of the top three biggest lies. (laughs) Top three biggest lies. Sam, this is your parting gift. Top three biggest lies that women tell. Okay? It's time to go. You ready? I'm fine. And not, you ready? You ready? And, and not tonight, I have a headache. Those are the three. <laughs> three lies. I don't care where we eat is number four. But they do care. And so you say, how about we go here? No, I don't want to. How about we go here? No, I don't want to. And all of a sudden, when you're in a state of indecision, honestly, the worst things can be said back and forth over something as trivial as that. Or like we've said before, that Friday night where you've worked all week and you really do want to go out and you make the plans and now you hate the fact that you made them. And so you are in that like dark liminal space of I don't want to just sit around and rot, but I really don't feel like going out. And then people try to suggest ways that your night could be better and you hate the, the suggestions and the people suggesting them. And so you get into this toxic state where you just start to get pulled along by emotion because you're in a situation where you're indecisive. And then the second one is anytime spontaneous failure shows up. There's failure where we all know it's coming. But then there's failure where you honestly thought you were beyond that. You honestly thought that was behind you. You honestly thought you weren't the kind of person who could say such a thing anymore. And then you have that moment where you say that thing or you do that thing. And you realize, I'm never past any kind of sin. And it kind of pulls you down, and you go through that state where now you're sort of like unmotivated with yourself. What's the point of working so hard if this is what I'm eventually going to do even six months from now? And so you get caught in the tug and the pull of those emotions. I'm in the car on the way to work, and the Spirit said to me, rest has nothing to do with time off. Rest has everything to do with the moment that you're in right now. Jesus is in a storm. Jesus is asleep in the storm. Jesus wakes from sleep and rebukes the storm, not because he ever wanted to, but because his disciples needed to see him do it. Because here's the reality. For Jesus, external circumstance has nothing to do with his rest. He's the kind of God who doesn't need it to be restful to be rest. He doesn't rebuke the storm because he had to. He rebuked the storm. Listen to this. Jesus rebuked the storm to show the disciples in the calm what was always going inside of him in the storm. What they felt when the storm stopped is the inner state of Christ's life all the time. Because he doesn't calm every storm. We've had hurricanes and thunderstorms and stuff that he didn't calm before they did damage. He didn't calm that storm because he calms nature. He calmed that storm to show us the state of his soul, even in moments of chaos. Sabbath rest isn't about taking time off. It's not about working. It's about being open to the spirit in such a way where our soul can hear the words, peace, be still in a world that is anything but still. So the Spirit says to me in this moment, your rest begins now today. You've had an awful day. You've made mistakes. You lost your temper. It's going to cost you. Later on in the day, Jacqueline backed up and hit Ian's car the same day. Her response, 
he doesn't always park behind me. How dangerous of a driver is she? What if I was behind you and I'm not always behind your car? She would have hit me. (laughs) When we're in these moments, listen to me, when you're in the moments where your job's going crazy, where the finances are going crazy, where the relationship strife is going crazy, and our, 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 our thought is, now I need a vacation. Here's the thing. We will take that chaos to vacation if something doesn't change in our heart. And then we'll take it back, and we'll make those jokes. Oh, I need a vacation for my vacation. Like, we'll say those things because we say them all the time. But when the inner turmoil doesn't change, the inner turmoil goes to the vacation spot. The inner turmoil goes to the golf course. The inner turmoil goes to the movies. The inner turmoil goes to all the places you would go to to try and rest. It'll go. Something needs to take place in us. And all I want everybody to walk, here's, here, this is just, this is real time. What the Spirit told me, I said, God, I hear you, but how am I supposed to untie this knot that is now in my stomach? I have to write a sermon on rest after I just acted like a child on a golf course. Some of you are mad I even got to play golf on a Thursday morning, let alone get mad. You're right. List the things you're thankful for and serve relentlessly for the rest of the day. List the things you're thankful for and serve relentlessly for the rest of the day. For the rest of the day, my thought process was, I need to serve. Ian, you always ask me if I want coffee, do you want coffee? Jacqueline, same thing. People call on the phone. Yeah, I'll take the call. Sometimes on sermon prep days, I don't take many. But, you know, I'll take it. I'll see what they want. Doing little things to serve, to try to open up space for that knot in my stomach to untie a little bit. And then I started to realize some things. I can take delight in a lot of stuff. I have good friends that wanted me to come play golf with them. I have a church that frees its pastor to be able to take breaks when he needs them because this job can be extremely stressful. I have a network of people that I can call on to talk to about things and get stuff off my chest that I trust, two of whom are leaving soon. I start being thankful. I start confessing that thanks. I start taking, what have we been saying for weeks? I started taking simple delight in what is in front of me. Not what could have been if I didn't lose it. Not what could have been if my job was less crazy. Not what could have been if my marriage was better. Not what could have been if my health was better. Not what could have been if that bill didn't come in. Not any of those things. I started taking delight in what was directly in front of my face. And it starts to open up your soul to sense what the Spirit is doing and what he's talking about. How? Do I believe I was able to grab myself in that moment and stop myself from going in that toxic direction of anger and irritation and irritability that turns into first like slights that are really joking, which then kind of get people all on on, on ease around you, and then it actually turns into arguments, and then it turns into stuff you need to repent for. Like that, that, that bad mood can start to spiral. We've all been there, and it can start to turn into things. What, why was I able to hit the brakes in that moment? That was the next question I asked God. How did I just hear you at 9.02 with so much going wrong today? How did I just hear you in that moment? And I believe it comes from those times that I took to go down to the riverfront earlier in the week with Jacqueline and with Sophia. 
the time that I took to watch Sophia watch ducks, to sit down and, you know, eat cheese and crackers and chase Sophia all around so she doesn't fall in the water. No. Here's the thing. I don't always, this is where social media can fool people, I don't always want to be doing that. Because in all of our minds, the stuff that we're working on is, is, is above trivial delight. You, don't, you know, we'll, we'll go to the river when I, when I get the sermon done. And we all have our thing that we say. But I believe that stopping, listen to me carefully, stopping with work undone. Stopping with work undone to take a little bit of time. We're either working 40 days a week or trying to take a three-month vacation. Like, we have no middle ground. Stopping for a half hour, walking, looking at water. Guess what? It is free to look at water. For now, it's free. It's free. And then going back to work. Going back home, going back to routines, going back to your Tuesday night routine to get ready for Wednesday. But taking that time to stop, it doesn't do something immediately, but it creates a pocket of space in your soul. And then the next day or the day after, when things get crazy, that moment speaks from the past to your future and says, remember the water, remember your daughter, slow down. It's not as serious as it seems. Pause. Think. Take delight in the moment. We, we rest for a day a week so that the other six days, that day that we rested, could start to speak to our chaos during those days. The seventh day speaks to Monday. It speaks to Tuesday. It speaks to Wednesday when you actually take delight. And the voice of God speaks from rest to rest for rest. So Jesus is rest in the storm And then Jesus brings rest to the storm. Look at this. The circumstances take on the character of Jesus' character. The storm doesn't turn Jesus into an unrestful person. Jesus turns the storm into rest itself. And this is the story that goes just before the story where Jesus meets the man that, that we call the demoniac. Jesus brought rest to a storm to show the disciples what he ultimately does to people. I brought rest to the weather so you could see we're about to cross this this river and we're about to meet a man who is possessed with a demon called Legion and he's nothing but unrest. And I'm going to bring the same rest that I brought to the storm to him because the weather was just a prophecy of what I do to people. And then he teaches us that rest only in our storms. He won't teach you about rest when you're on vacation. He'll let you rest, but he'll teach you about rest the next moment that you would be apt to not be restful. He's annoying. He will teach you about rest only at the point of attack, only when you're moving from one state to another state and you got all kinds of stuff to move and all kinds of bills you weren't prepared for start rolling in and the children and all this kind of stuff. And in a moment where everything feels like quicksand, the more you move, the deeper you go. That's when he's going to start to talk to you about rest because if you can't change there, you'll never change anywhere else. You have to change at the point of attack. You have to change in the moment. Here's what we know. Jesus is the Sabbath and Jesus is everywhere, which means the Sabbath is in every 
every moment of your entire life. We need to ask the Spirit to open us up to the Sabbath in moments where we would be normally closed to it. But if you can't hit the brakes in the moment, you won't hit them when you have the space to. You'll go on your vacation and feel like, okay, I got really rested, but it's only in the moment. It's, it's like running around the track. If you stop every time you get out of breath, you'll always only be able to run that amount of laps. You need to run the one more that you can't run. There's grace for every one of you to get rest in the next step that you normally wouldn't be able to take rest in. You're not trying to become Jesus. You just want to become the kind of person who the next time chaos hits, you remember that the Spirit is opening you to a 30-second moment where he can create enough space in you for you to take quick delight, and that will be like the mustard seed or the loaves and the fish. It will start to produce itself for the rest of that crazy day. Your crazy morning doesn't have to be a crazy evening. A bad Monday doesn't have to turn into a bad week. A bad Friday night doesn't have to turn into a bad weekend. A bad year of marriage doesn't mean the end of it. A bad year or two or three or ten in the life of one of your kids doesn't mean they're walking away from Jesus forever. That's what the Sabbath says. But chaos says, you, were, you had a bad morning, it's going to be a bad day. And because it was a bad day, it's going to be a bad week. And because it was a bad week, it's going to be a bad weekend. And, and that toxicity, that unrest starts to speak. We need to hear the Spirit say, that is not true. Pause, give me 30 seconds. Thank me for the next good thing that you see. And just create that space. So how do we do it? And this is where we close. We need time alone. You heard in the Elijah text. Elisha sees Elijah disappear. He sees him disappear and Elijah's shirt falls out of heaven. Like, what is he wearing now? And it falls and he takes the shirt and he says, where is the Lord? And where is Elijah? And he smacks his golf bag. I mean, he smacks the Jordan River. He loses his temper And when he hits the Jordan River, the Jordan splits. Look at this. Alone time with God that leads to change is when you're alone with him long enough to think he failed you and then get mad about it. And then all of a sudden in that space, there will be a sea-splitting revelation where God says, I am so much closer than you ever thought. But it's only until I lose him that I realize how close he is. Why is it important that Elisha hit the Jordan River and it split and he walked through the Jordan? Because thousands of years later, another person will enter the Jordan. And he'll be buried in the Jordan. And he'll hear a voice come from heaven and say, you're my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. At some point, when we're alone with God, we have to remember our baptism. And you think, what does that have to do with rest? In baptism, God says, you're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son. And nothing will bring rest to you except in the chaos of your own failure or somebody else's failure, knowing that God affirms you. When you feel the affirmation of God, you could be in a storm and go to sleep. And not the kind of sleep that's avoidance, the kind of sleep that is presence. But you need to be alone long enough to remember your baptism. But then we need people. The disciples, look at this. This is amazing. The disciples know the story where Elijah says, if you see me disappear, my mantle will fall on you and you'll be clothed with my spirit. So when Jesus ascends, 
the disciples, like Elisha, are standing there waiting, saying, is his shirt going to fall? But then an angel comes and says, why are you gazing into heaven? And like good fundamentalist Christians, they say, because we know the scriptures. And so we know what's supposed to happen. Because if God said it in scripture, then he's enslaved to always doing that all the time. Just a little uppercut on that mode of thinking. The angel says, don't wait. But the story tells us to wait. Well, this story's different. Go and get as many people as you can together and wait. And then the mantle will fall. In the one story, it fell on one person. But in the Acts 2 story, it falls on the church. So we need time alone where we're reading, where we're praying, where we're crying, where we're venting to God. All of the feels, getting them all out to him until that moment where we think he's lost and then he shows you how close he always was. But then we need time together in the community because the spirit also falls on community, one theologian said it like this, and this is really annoying. The spirit will only fall on an individual, except also the spirit will only fall on a community. And he's right. He's right. The fullness of the spirit is felt as it lands on me alone and as it lands on me with all of you. Then it's the fullness of the spirit. And so we need time alone. Now I'm telling you, if it's only five minutes where you, can, you have to go into the bathroom at work and pull out a, a notepad of scriptures and read one scripture and say, God, I'm going to focus on this for 30 seconds and then i got to go back in there with all of those coworkers. Get that space. Don't just wait for a day off. Find a way to do it in the middle of the day. Create that bubble of space and then get together. That's why we're doing what we're doing. I just want to explain how we do this. If you're the kind of person who is introverted, you don't want to go try and get people to do stuff. We have a gift for you this summer. There's going to be a board out there with stuff that you can just get involved in. You don't have to be the person who runs it. You can just go look and see what's going on and call somebody and go join them. And if you're the kind of person who feels like being creative, you don't have to. I don't care if there's nothing on that board. I just want to create the possibility for you. If you're the kind of person who wants to be creative, here's what you can do. Decide on an event that you would like to invite other people to. Call or email the church or fill out one of the cards at the information center. Tell us what the event is. And like, I just got to get everybody's attention again. As long as you're not going to be getting drunk or going to a strip club, we'll probably be cool. Everyone's like, darn it, there's the two. Nope, nope. We'll be okay with it, but we just want to run, have the events run by us. And then we'll post them on the board. Call us or fill it out the Sunday before the week where you want to do the event so we can have a week to advertise it for you. Put a contact number if it's the kind of event that needs contacting. Some of them don't. Like last night, Beacon had a wonderful firework display. And if we were going to put that on the board, all it would have said was, Pastor Bill and Jacqueline are going to be in Beacon. Just show up on this night at this time. If we had a Sunday to do that, you, that's what would have been out there. Be available at the contact you give. And if the event that you want to do is full, like if you want to have people over your house for coffee and just discussion and you only can have three people, the first three people who call you that see the board and call you and say, hey, Dan, you know, three of us are going to come, you know, have coffee with you on Saturday morning. Once that fourth person calls, just be okay saying, listen, the, the three people called, but I'll probably do it again sometime. 
let's just take what we would normally do and put it on that board so that the church can have an opportunity to see what else is going on. If you like hiking, if you like biking, if you like going to the river, which is one of the things that I love to do, if you like to go kayaking like Reed Scott and take somebody with you who doesn't know how to kayak and get him stuck in the weeds and he thinks his life is going to end, if that's the kind of thing you want to do to a person, put kayaking with Reed Scott on there. If you want to go, reach me at. Let's just put, like, like if, if a coffee shop can do it, we should be able to do it. And then there will just be opportunities for you. If you feel a little bit lonely, if you feel like people don't reach out to you, here's a chance where the church is going to reach out to itself by saying, here's what we're doing. There's events all over the place. West Point fireworks with a band playing at the same time. There's all kinds of things that are going on. Have a potluck. Do something. But the point is you don't have to because I want this summer to provide space. But if it's something you want to do, put it on there. If it's something you want to join once you read it, call and join. But we need time alone, and we need time with each other to really receive the fullness of the Spirit. So the next time a bad day starts at 7, you can grab that bad day by the throat by 7.30 and say, not today. Not today. Let's stand to our feet. As we get ready to come to the table, let's pray together. Why don't you hold the hand of the person next to you? I know how everybody loves to hold hands. I love the people who cross the aisles. Nobody in the middle likes each other very much at all. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you, you are relentless with rest in our lives, that you are the Sabbath, that there's not a moment in our lives where chaos can have authority over us. You always make it possible for us to receive rest from you. And so, Father God, while there's so much more to say on this subject, I pray that the simplicity of it will be the first thing that we taste. That in the moments of draining chaos, overwork, the grip of depression, the feeling of defeat, the feeling of despair, the feeling of failure, the feeling of being scatterbrained, the feeling of not being able to find a footing in a week or a day or a month, that in those moments, if we can just find a way to step outside for 30 seconds, if we can just find a way to steal away to a corner of the office and just ask you to open up our soul to take delight in you, to take delight in our neighbor, to say thank you for one thing in our life, that you can help us become, you can teach us to become, you can grace us and gift us to become the kinds of people whose inner atmosphere doesn't have to be equated to the outer atmosphere. And maybe even have our inner atmosphere bring rest to the outer one. So that we might be the kinds of people who walk into a room and before we even speak, there's a calming effect. But help us, here's where we need you, Holy Spirit, to remind us at the point of attack that this is the moment to take delight. This is the moment, even though it doesn't feel like it, even though everything is screaming for productivity. 
nudge us to remember and to see that moment, to read a scripture, to think of a quote from a message, to remember a memory like a, like a perfect photograph of a time where we were truly thankful and bring that into the present. And then back to work, different. Back to work, holy. Back to work, contagious with Sabbath. Lord, you know every circumstance in this room. You know people who are overworked because they have to be. You know people who are unsettled because of emotional trauma and things going on. All we can do, Father God, is what we can do. You have to do the rest. All we can do is the part that you've given us the grace to do. And then we ask that you take us the rest of the way. And so we give you this bread and this cup. This is the best that we could come up with. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would descend on this meal. Take this small, embarrassing meal that we've given you today and fall on it and make it for your people, the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. And I pray that in the same way we give you this bread and this cup, I pray that we would give you our chaotic moments during this upcoming week that we would give them to you and that you would descend on them and that you would make those moments the body and blood of Jesus, that you would make those moments of chaos moments of rest. And even if the chaos doesn't stop, something changes in us, in our mind, in our soul, and we re-enter the fray, calm on the inside, bringing calm to the outside. I pray as we come to the table that you would remind us of how much you love us, how you're pleased with us, how you call us friend, how you accept us in our worst moments. And I pray this week that we would say thank you, that no matter what we've done, we're your beloved children. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. The ushers will release you from the back to the front. Come resting to the table. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle Podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.